This video is brought to you by Devout Decals, makers of reusable Catholic art for your home altar, your bedroom, and your home classroom. For here I have for you an address given by St. John Bosco of a dream he had of the Blessed Virgin Mary, and he gave it to the boys at his orphanage that he ran. This will probably be hard again for some to hear because, as is always the case with St. John Bosco, his messages are always, you know, they convict us of our own sins. They help us with you know, needing to go to confession, I suspect. So, I hope you find this useful today on your way to Mass or on your way home from Mass. Here is his address. Here I am to keep my promise. You know that dreams come during sleep. As the time for the retreat drew near, I was wondering how my boys would make it and what I should suggest to make it fruitful. On Sunday night, April 25th, the eve of the retreat, I went to bed with this thought in my mind. I fell asleep immediately, and I seemed to be standing all alone in a vast valley enclosed on both sides by high hills. At the far end of the valley, along one side where the ground rose steeply, there was a pure, bright light. The other side was in semi-darkness. As I stood gazing at the plain, Buzetti and Gastini came up to me and said, Don Bosco, you will have to mount a horse. Hurry, hurry. Are you joking, I said. You know how long it has been since I rode a horse? They insisted, but in an attempt to excuse myself, I kept repeating. I don't want to ride a horse. I did it once and fell off. Gastini and Bazzetti kept pressing me evermore and said, Get on a horse and quickly. There is no time to lose. But suppose I do mount a horse. Where are you taking me? You'll see. Now hurry and mount. But where's the horse? I don't see any. There it is, shouted Gastini, pointing to one side of the valley. I looked and saw a beautiful spirited steed. It had long, strong legs, a thick mane, and very glossy coat. Well, since you want me to mount it, I will, but woe to you if I fall, I said. Don't worry, they replied, we'll be here with you for an emergency. And if I break my neck, you'll have to fix it, I told Bazzetti. Bazzetti broke into a laugh. This is not time to laugh, Gastini muttered. We walked over to the horse. Even with their help, I had great difficulty mounting, but finally I was in the saddle. How tall that horse seemed to be then! It was as if I was perched on top of a high mound from where I could survey the entire valley from end to end. Then the horse started to move. Strangely, while this was happening, I seemed to be in my own room. I asked myself, where are we? Coming towards me, I saw priests, clerics, and others. All looked frightened and breathless. After a long ride, the horse stopped. Then I saw all the priests of the oratory together with many of the clerics approaching. They gathered around the horse. I recognized Father Rua, Father Cagliaro, and Father Bologna among them. When they reached me, they stopped and silently stared at my horse. I noticed that all seemed worried. Their disquiet was such as I had never seen before. I beckoned to Father Bologna. Father Bologna, I said, are you in charge of the main entrance? Can you tell me what happened? Why do you look so upset? I don't know where I am or what I am doing, he said. I'm all confused. Some people came in, talked, and left... There is such a hubbub of people coming and going at the main entrance that I don't know what's going on. Is it possible, I wonder, that something very unusual might happen today? Just then, someone handed me a trumpet, saying I should hold on to it because I would need it. Where are we now, I asked. Blow the trumpet. I did, and heard these words. We are in the land of trial. Then I saw a multitude of boys, I think over 100,000, coming down the hill. There were... There was absolute silence, carrying pitchforks. They were hastening towards the valley. 
I recognized among them all the oratory boys and those of our other schools, but there were many more unknown to me. Just then, on one side of the valley, the sky darkened and hordes of animals resembling lions and tigers appeared. These ferocious beasts had big bodies, strong legs, and long necks, but their heads were quite small. They were terrifying. With bloodshot eyes bulging from their sockets, they hurled themselves at the boys who immediately stood ready to defend themselves. As the animals attacked, the boys stood firm and beat them off with their pronged pitchforks, which they lowered or raised as needed. Unable to overpower them by this first attack, the beasts snapped at the fork prongs, only to break their teeth and vanish. Some of the boys, however, had forks with only one prong, and these were wounded. Others had pitchforks with broken or worm-eaten handles, and others still threw themselves at the beasts barehanded and fell victim. Quite a few of these were killed. Many had pitchforks with two prongs and new handles. While this was going on, from the very start, swarms of serpents slithered about my horse. Kicking and stamping, the horse crushed and drove them off. At the same time, I was growing ever taller and taller. I asked someone what the two-pronged fork symbolized. I was handed a fork. On the prongs I read, Confession on one, Communion on the other. What did the prongs mean? Blow the trumpet. I did and heard these words. Good confession and good communion. I blew the trumpet again and heard these words. Broken handle, sacrilegious confessions and communions. Worm-eaten handle, faulty confessions. Now that the first attack was over, I rode over the battlefield and saw many dead and wounded. I thought, saw that some of the dead had been strangled and their necks were swollen and deformed. The faces of others were horribly disfigured. Still others had starved to death while enticing food was within their reach. The boys who were strangled are those who unfortunately committed some sins in their early years and never confessed them. Those with disfigured faces are gluttons, and the boys who died of hunger are those who go to confession but never follow the advice or admonition of their confessor. Next to each boy whose pitchfork had a worm-eaten handle, a word stood out. For some it was pride, for others sloth, for others immodesty, etc. I must also add that in their march the boys had to walk over a bed of roses. They liked it, but after a few steps they would utter a cry and fall to the ground either dead or wounded because of the thorns hidden underneath. Others instead bravely trampled on those roses and, encouraging one another, marched on to victory. Then the sky darkened again. Instantly even greater hordes of the same animals or monsters appeared. All this happened in less than three or four seconds. My horse was surrounded. The monsters increased beyond count, and I too began to be frightened. I could feel them clawing at me. Then someone handed me a pitchfork, and I also began to fight them, and the monsters were forced to retreat. Beaten in their first attack, they all vanished. Then I blew the trumpet again, and these words echoed through the valley. Victory. Victory. Victory, I wondered. How is it possible with so many dead and wounded? I blew the trumpet once more, and we heard the words, Truce for the vanquished. The sky brightened, and a rainbow became visible. It was so lovely and so colorful that I cannot describe it. It was immense as though one end rested on top of a superga, and it, its arc stretched and stretched until it reached the top of Monchensinio. I should also add that all the boys who had been victorious wore crowns so brilliant and so bright and varied in color that it was an awe-inspiring sight. Their faces, too, were resplendently handsome. At the far end of the valley was a sort of balcony, holding people full of joy and of such varied beauty as to surpass my imagination. A very noble lady, royally arrayed, came to my railing of the balcony and called out, Come, my children, and take shelter under my mantle. As she spoke, an immense bat mantle spread out, and all the boys ran to take cover under it. Some actually flew. These had the word innocence on their forehead. Others just walked, and some crawled. I also started to run, and in that split second, it couldn't have been more than that, I said to myself, This had better end or will die. 
I had just said this and was still running when I woke up. I think the explanation for his vision is pretty straightforward. We are to, of course, make good confessions and follow them with good communion and listen to the advice of our confessors if we want to overcome the sins that will lead to spiritual death. I think that's pretty obvious. And it's also fairly obvious that the sort of core message here is make, you know, pray a rosary and seek shelter under Our Lady's mantle. And there you will find strength to do those things. Making a good confession can be hard. Yes, we all hear the same thing. Priests all have, have pretty much heard it all. But at the same time, there's a sort of a, you know, inborn sort of natural humiliation to admitting certain kinds of sins in the confessional, especially to a priest who you will then a few minutes later <laughs> be seeing in the halls or seeing, you know, as you go to receive communion. These things happen. But seek the shelter of Our Lady. Stay close to the sacraments. And you can overcome any sin. Live a life of virtue. There is a spiritual battle going on, even if our eyes can't see it. Although if you're blind to it these days, I don't know what to tell you. Anyway, let me know what you thought of this in the comments, please. Like and subscribe if you haven't, it really does help. And as always, pray for the church. I'm Anthony Stein. Ave Maria.